I did a podcast a little while ago that ended up being used by a a 12-step program in South Africa for recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. You never know where things are going to travel to. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. We all come from somewhere and aim to make a journey through life. Constant change. This is an open-ended exploration of our ability and desire to learn, grow, and adapt. In conversation with inspiring individuals and experts in the fields of sciences, technology, behavior, and performance, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. The future is happening now, and we aspire to evenly distribute the knowledge by empowering your learnability. Let's go. We're here with Malcolm Larry today. Thanks nice for having, having me. you here. Yeah, great. You were recently the moderator for the TEDx event. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, the, the thing is with um, opportunity is opportunity always comes through reputation and network. And so over the last five years, you know, I've been working really hard to build a great network in Stockholm, my adopted home. I'm originally from Sydney, Australia, and I turned up here. 10 years ago to, to follow my wife, yeah. you know, who I met in Sydney, my Swedish wife. You know, since then, I've been working really hard to build a network because, you know, when you move to a new country, the thing that you miss straight away is I don't know anybody here who can help me with this or that. And in Sydney, I had this huge network that I built up. And, you know, one of the things that will help anyone build their reputation and their network is high quality work. So, you know, my focus when I moved here was I need to get on the ladder, start climbing the ladder, and I need to do great work wherever I am. So, you know, I moved here and I took a job in sales and then event management, and then I was, you know, started my own company. But along the way, I was gathering great people, and I was really focused on doing the best quality work I could do. So as I was going along and doing this work, you know, in whatever field that I was doing, whether it was selling, event management, speaking, coaching, I was always, my goal was always to do gold standard work. Mm, Quality, high quality, because nothing will build your reputation faster than consistently high quality work. And it does not matter if it's moving boxes in a warehouse. It does not matter if it's being on stage. It, you know, at TEDx, it, it's, it's really getting up in the morning and doing the absolute best you can with the opportunity that's in front of you. I saw a, a post, I think it was from Harvard Business Review. Mm-hmm. I love their Instagram and yeah, their yeah, content. Yeah, me too, yeah. It was something about feeling less confident. Mm. There's no better way combating that than delivering. Absolutely, Delivering yeah. quality. So that's what you're talking about. Let's talk about, about that in a minute because yeah. I've got a thing called the confidence ladder, which right. I'll take you through. But regarding TEDx, what happened was over time, you know, I was meeting great people and, and, you know, doing the best work I could and that impressed them at some level. And, and the thing is, is when you do high quality work, it builds a lot of trust because whenever someone's going to recommend you for something, they're putting their reputation on the line. Yes. So, and, but what happened was, was over time, um, more and more people who work in the TEDx Stockholm community yeah. were people that I had were in my network and they trusted me. 
and, and thought that I could do a great job. And so I was invited to host the event. It looked Recommended fantastic. by three or four people inside the All group. Right. And uh, I got to do the event and it was really, really fun. And the, the great learning from doing that event was getting to sort of see behind the curtain of TED Talks. Oh, yeah. Because we've all seen the, you know, 100 TED Talks at least. They come up on our, uh, on our, on our you know, social networks every day. TED Talk about this, but when you get to actually see how much work goes into a TED Talk, how much work goes into those events, it's super impressive. And, um, you know, the, the speakers are working for six months on their talks, you know. I had a friend actually. Yeah. No, she didn't talk on this mm, one, she, yeah. but she recently spoke on TEDx about yep. sustainability. Correct. She has a brand called uh, Residus. And yeah, I remember the half a year ahead and her yeah. building that. So that 15 minutes you see yeah. is the tip of a six-month iceberg. I didn't have to do that kind of level of preparation. How was it for you preparing? What, what preparing? was it? Preparing? Well, you know, I, uh, I would, you know, contacted the speakers. I was looking at the, how the event's going together. How am I going to put a, a red thread through yeah. this event? How am I going to make this a narrative so that it's not just introducing speakers, no. but we're really building the theme for the event throughout it. And, what you know, was the theme? The theme was reflections, reflections because it was a celebration of 10 years of oh, TEDx yeah. Stockholm. And so we were looking at, you know, how can we, use, you know, I was thinking, how can I use this reflections in the way I introduce the speakers, how I introduce the performers. But also when you're the host, your job is to um, manage the energy of the room and, and help people make, because sometimes, you know, you know, a, a speaker will give a very emotional talk and then you have to introduce a comedy uh, yeah. act. <laughs> okay, so, so you have to make that transition yeah, so how do emotionally. I, you know, how do I help the audience as the host yeah. make this, you know, in just a few minutes, make the transition from uh, this serious talk about what tourism's doing to the planet to an improvised comedy group. And so you have to kind of think about taking the audience on that journey and the best way to do that. And I don't know if I succeeded or not. I mean, I, I got nice feedback and everything, but, um, but for me, when I do things like this, I don't think of them in the sense of, I wonder if now that I've done a TED talk, if I could get something else. Mm. That's not how I operate. You take one thing at the go. One thing at a time, do it to the absolute best of your ability. Um, I spent many days preparing, yeah. standing in a room, talking to the window, to my own reflection, practicing, doing the best job I could so that on the day I could be as prepared as I could be because I know that no matter how prepared I am, there's going to be like 25% unexpected. So you have to have that space. You and have to be as prepared as you can be yeah. so that you can then improvise oh, yeah. around your preparation because if you're not prepared – when you have to deal with that 25% of uncertainty, then it's really, really difficult it to perform. It all comes falling down. Yeah. So, you know, you prepare, 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 and then you just let go, be in the moment, yeah. do your very best. And, you know, I go out and speak to audiences all the time because, you know, I'm a leadership and culture consultant, yeah. coaching teams, coaching leadership teams. 
And the audience is 50% of the show every day. Oh, yeah, so you have to take Even if I put the same slides up and I do the same kind of basic talk, the audience changes it every time. I've experienced that as well. Yeah. Going out and holding lectures. It's the same presentation, but it's never presented in the same way. Yeah, the the audience is half the show. I actually did, last year I did three two-hour seminars at Ericsson on the same day. Okay. In the same room for three different audiences. And at the end, you know, the, the lady who'd hired me to do those talks said, that was three different seminars. Wow. <laughs> On the same day as same well. Same <laughs> day, same slideshow, same talk, same jokes, you know. <laughs> and she said, that was three different. And I said, yeah, because uh, the audience changes it. We'll get more into your work yeah. uh, and, and get into the details of mm. what you do. But I want to hear a little bit of, about your journey. So let's go way, way back. Yeah, so please. when I uh, was a young man, I was passionate about music and I was a professional drummer for many years, Yeah, professional musician in Australia, touring with acts and, and being in bands and doing all of that. No one Were you know. in different bands or different bands? I was in different bands and I was also a drummer for hire. So I did both of those things and I was touring around Australia and, you know, in the early nineties, you could start on one side of Australia, which is a huge continent, yes. and get in a van and drive from town to town to town and just stay on the road for months, literally months, like not go home for nine months. And then I went and toured in Asia and spent, you know, six or nine months, I can't remember now, touring around Asia with bands, you know, wow. Bangkok, Singapore, Indonesia, uh, Jakarta, I think, and, uh, you know, just... Uh, just playing, just all I wanted to do was play. And it was, I had the same philosophy. I just want to do the best job I can, mm. you know. But I went through, you know, they did that for a long time. But I also was always interested in personal development. And, you know, my natural gift is being a teacher. So even when I was playing drums, I was teaching drums. And I kind of always had the feeling that the purpose of being really successful was be able to show someone else how to be successful it was always in my mind so I was sort of naturally a coach and teacher more than anything so your else. definition maybe of success is seeing someone else succeed would you define it well you know I, I think about this all the time and my current definition is having a great day because over time whatever you achieve diminishes in value so there were things that you've done innocent in your life that you've just been like, hell yes, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. You've been so proud of. And 10 years later, you're like, meh. And so I think it's great to chase things. Yeah. Like, I, like you know, hosting TEDx was like, for me, a great milestone. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to experience it. Like I went into it. This is a great experience. It's something I'll be able to share with the people who are in this group that I love and care about and it will connect us more and it'll connect me to the audience and I'll get to have this experience. Um, But for me, it's not going to change my life. And it's like, that was a great day. Wow, what a great day. And it's sort of like the more further I am from it, the more I can enjoy it because I don't I don't have any of the stress of the event anymore. Of course. I only have the nice photos and the great memories and the high fives. 
and I'm not stressed about, is someone going to put three chairs on stage for the improvisational group? But what I think about is your job is to have a great day. And by that, I mean, you serve yourself, you serve your family, whoever that is, and you serve others. And if you do that by doing great work and following your passion and your passion, you know, can be many, many things and it can change, um, then you're going to have a great life. And I think there's nothing you're going to achieve that's going to make you feel successful long term. What will make you feel successful long term is your connection to the people you care about and that the people that you care about are doing good. It's a really a, a mindset that puts you in the presence yeah. in a different way. Yeah. And you can have these ambitions and goals, yeah. but if you're not enjoying the journey, absolutely, what's the purpose? Yeah, and you and this is why people are burning out. Yeah, is because they're living for this outcome that's you know six, twelve months down the line. Mm. And I've got no problem with grinding it out. You know, the year I started my business, I slept two hours a day, three hours a day for a year. Oh, damn! Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> But it was what I had to do to get my business where I wanted to, to get it. Um, but it's very short term. It's like, you know, I have this concept with my coaching clients of marathons and sprints. So, you know, there are some short term goals yes. where you can sprint, you can grind it out, but it can't be your life because your life is a marathon. And that balance in between yeah. and remembering the marathon. Yeah. When it's you're like, in the sprint. and so. If you consistently are not enjoying your life, not having good days consistently, you need to change. You need to make adjustments because that's not sustainable. We'll get in more to tactics of yeah, changing correct. and making the adjustments, but take us back. So you're a yeah. drummer, you're yep, in sorry. your early 20s. Yeah, so I'm in my early 20s. You know, I was a drummer for a long time and then I was started studying coaching. Now, I, was stud I studied NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming which is a study of how we use language to create maps of the world inside our own heads yeah. and then uh, how to help people make change through language, using different language to describe things and different language to uh, understand how they're processing the world. Okay, and create then helpful maps yeah, that can helpful take them maps. forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we use words all the time in ways that either limit us or set us free. Yes. So then I started studying this, and this really opened a huge door for me of possibility. And I saw that I would be able to make a bigger difference in the world by being a coach and being, you know, someone who's helping people directly than through music. And also, as a musician, I'd done a lot of the things I wanted to do. I'd been on the radio, I'd been on TV, I'd, you know, recorded albums. Yeah. And Right around the time that I was sort of hitting this crossroads is when the internet really hit the music industry hard. Mm. And I realized that like being a musician was going to be much, much harder over the next forward. 10, 20 years than it already was. And it was already really hard. 
And at the same time, you're finding what seems to yeah. be maybe your true yeah. calling or yeah. something that's... So, in you know, I was around 30, 32, and I was like, okay, I really I really want to make a shift here because I'd been coaching people at the same time I was being a musician, yeah. and I was getting more reward from that. I opened a music school okay. so I could teach music. Teaching, yes. So I basically went into, you know, entrepreneur mode where I had my own music school teaching drummers. And, uh, you know, I was coaching people. So that really became my focus. And then, uh, you know, fast forward 20 years, that's really what I've focused on and what I've been working on. But, you know, I've been coaching people since 1997. So it's a long journey. Yeah, and definitely. coaching individuals led to coaching teams. Uh, people that I'd coach said, can you come and coach my team? And then that led to coaching organizations. Big, you know, organizations. And so it was just something that naturally evolved, and I, I evolved myself to be able to take those opportunities. So when I had those opportunities, I didn't say, I don't know how to do that, or I don't do that. I would just say, yeah, I'd love to do that, and then we'd just step into it and learn by doing, yeah, because that's, that's really way. a huge, huge way to move forward. And also your mindset of delivering quality every time you get the job, I'm guessing. Yeah, deliver the best you can. And yeah. sometimes the quality is really high. Yeah. And sometimes it's not high. But it's the best you can. But it's the best you can do. Yeah. And it's about, it's about doing the best you can do so that you can walk away and say, okay, <clears throat> look, I, ran, I tried to run the Stockholm Marathon recently. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. I saw that on Instagram. Last weekend, the weekend before this one. And I got halfway and then it was like really clear to me that my training and preparation was completely not good enough. Oh yeah. So at 25 kilometers, like my feet are killing me, like I'm in pain. It started raining, getting windy. I'm shivering and cold. <laughs> I can't feel my hands. Wow. And I'm just like, okay, you've got enough feedback now to know that you weren't prepared enough. So sometimes, sometimes, you know, the outcome isn't great. But you did your best yeah. and then you get feedback and then you just take a step forward. Please. You're not going to win every time. That's Thanks. not how the world is. And there you have the chance to see it as a failure or just a learning experience. Yeah, well, as I wrote on my social media, I just learned how not to run a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I really learned how not to run a marathon. Yeah. I probably did every mistake that you could make in preparing for a marathon. Yeah. So now I can go out hopefully next year and either complete it or run much further. Uh, but I really learned a lot. At the end of the day, innocent, like so many of the things that we decide we're going to do, we just pull them out of the air and make them important. I'm going to be a speaker in Stockholm. I mean, that idea I just pulled out of the air. I could have chosen a million things. I could have chosen to be a construction worker, taxi driver, and I decided this is important. I decided to make it important. How do you think that but happens? for the universe? It's not important at all that I do that, right? So the things that we decide are important are important to us. And if we, if we say that we're failing at something, it's like by what criteria are you judging yourself? You just made this up that you're a professional speaker. You just made this up. And even if you study it and you get qualified in it, you're still making it up. Yeah. You're just deciding out of the billion possibilities in the universe that you're this. And if sometimes you're not good at it, why would you call yourself a failure when you're creating something out of nothing? You're still creating it. This is like, this is so, like the fact that we as humans can do this. 
to me is so magical. So it's like a mental construction you yeah. just create it out of thin air. Yeah, you yeah. create this out of thin air that you're a marathon runner or you're a you're going to be a CEO of a company. This is just a mental construction. So why would you make a mental construction and then use it as a way to beat yourself up Constrain or make yourself, yourself feel bad? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So if you realize, hey, I just made this up. Yeah. So I don't need to. I don't need to do anything that will uh, make me feel bad or make this journey harder for myself. It sounds like you think a lot about thinking. Yeah, definitely. I think we have the, like you're talking about, the chance to control our thoughts mm-hmm. in some way or mm-hmm. realize because we have a negativity bias. Mm-hmm. So if we can realize that, just that fact, mm-hmm. and notice when we're getting into these negative thoughts, because either way, mm-hmm. both thoughts may be true. Exactly. Or yeah. which one helps you. Yeah. And you have the choice to yeah. pick well, the one that helps there's you. There's two primary drivers for human beings, yeah. which is, you know, I'm not good enough and I won't be loved. That's mm-hmm. like drives like so much of how we act, how we think. Right. Like we, it's, you know, we're tribal social animals. Yes. And for us to not be successful, whatever that means for you, that's, that feels for us like a, an opportunity to be rejected by the tribe, whoever that is for you. And that means like danger. So, you know, we've grown up, uh, you know, or sorry, evolved, you know, as humans in tribes. And if you didn't have the tribe around you, if you were left alone, you would die. So this is like evolutionary. I think there's a lot to learn from evolution. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And I think if we just stop and think about, okay, what is the danger here? If I give a bad talk, they don't pay me. That's like the worst case scenario. Or they write on the internet, Malcolm Larry sucks. Like the worst case scenario is a bad review and a rejected invoice. Yeah. I will not die. My kids will still be fine. My wife will still love me. I still live in the, you know, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I have everything I need. So the actual risk of failure is really low. Yeah, it's only going to be a damage to my ego. Exactly. Right? And then it's still all in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big construct. But, you know, in terms of this thing that we can create, we can create ideas about what we want to do. We can create a mindset to go with that. And this for me is what coaching is all about, is people come to me and they say, I want to um, move my career from here to here, or I want to change my life in this way. And after coaching people for 20 plus years, I can see that those people are either as smart as I am or in general smarter than I am. So what do they need? They need a way to believe that this is possible And they need a, a, a sort of a thought system to go around this new project that allows them to move forward. And one of the most important things I do as a coach is I remove limiting beliefs. Yes. The self-talk. Yeah. We can speak X amount of words mm-hmm. per minute, but we can think, I don't remember oh, yeah. how many times oh, it's more. it's like a thousand plus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So huge. if you have a negative self-talk, mm-hmm. imagine how much that amounts to. Oh yeah, it's huge. Also, m- lots of people have a lot of negative talk that is 
other people's beliefs, yes. what they read in the newspaper. Mm. A lot of the limiting beliefs that people are carrying around aren't theirs. The social mirrors, sort of. Uh, yeah, like I mean, I'll, I'll make up a scenario because I don't want to, you know, uh, say anything from a, a real coaching session or give away anyone's privacy. But someone could come to me and say, "I really want to um, be a speaker like you, but there's no opportunity for someone like me." Um, who's from India, to ever do that, right? Like that's just an example. Yeah, yeah, and I'd yeah. say, okay, is it is it possible someone from India has moved to Sweden and actually given a speech? Like is it possible? It's like, yeah. Is it probable? Yeah. Okay, so why do you believe you can't do it? Well, I just haven't seen anyone. Okay, so if I could find someone who's an Indian who's given a speech <laughs> to speak to you, would you then believe that it's possible? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I said, so do you even need me to find that person? No, not really. So sometimes like these beliefs people have, they've got from somewhere, they don't even know where they got it from, but it's the belief they're taking into their daily life and they don't question them. And so often... The beliefs we have are given to us by other people. They're other people's fears. They're other people's belief systems. Learned from school. Like, Learned from school. Yeah. There can be. It can also just be the news. Oh, there's a global financial crisis mm. coming. I can't start a business now. Well, there's an economic downturn every five years. Yeah. Statistically, I did something like that. A lot of great companies come you know, from those downturns. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like uh, people who you you know who are in the stock market, they love it when the mar the market crashes because yes. then they buy a ton of shares cheaply, and then so it's you know it's all these negative uh, negative or limiting beliefs going around people's heads, and once we filter them out and actually put them on the table, they see that most of them aren't true, and if they have one that is sort of true. Uh, or true for them in some way, then we just look at how can we reframe that. So the reason I can be a successful speaker is because there's no other Indians uh, in Stockholm. Yes, there's a niche here for me too. There's a niche yeah, for me yeah. to come from an emerging tech giant and go out to the marketplace and tell them why we're such a superpower in tech and IT and explain to them the Indian superpower and make that not only, like, I'm just making this yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, But make that my niche, my messaging, my, you know, the reason why you should hear me, the reason why I have to be on stage at all these conferences. That's so great, Malcolm, yeah. because it's like we said, both of them are true in yeah. some way, but which one helps yeah, you? Yeah, one is empowering. Yeah. And one is limiting. And you have the chance to choose. Yeah. Like you said, everything is yeah. a, Construct. And one of my favorite things to do as a client is, you know, I sit down with someone from 90 minutes and they come in with that limiting belief yeah. and they walk out with that empowering yes. mindset plan. And then we, the next coaching sessions are going to be about how do we put a strategy around that yeah. to, for you to actually make it now a possibility, like that possibility into a probability yes. into a actual thing happening. So for me, that's, that's the most exciting point where you see someone go, oh my God, this is like a huge possibility for me. And they feel suddenly they can achieve it. Like that's an achievable outcome. 
I like what you said about making it into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, we speak a lot about reactivity, and that's mm-hmm. what you explain. The social mirror, people telling you whatever about you, and you're living that way. Mm-hmm. Or proactivity, mm-hmm. which is sort of you deciding, okay, I want to be this, and I'm going to take these proactive actions mm-hmm. towards that. Mm-hmm. Would you see that in your coaching as well? Do you talk about that? Reactive behavior and proactive behavior? Or would you frame it in a different way? Well, my key messaging to all my coaching clients is control what you can control because you have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of energy, and you need to decide what you're going to focus on because you feel what you focus on. Like control what you can control mm. because in terms of reacting to the world, you only need to react to the things that you actually have some agency over, some control over. And spending time on the things that you don't like you know the example of the of the global fin- i can't mm. start a business because mm. there's going to be a global financial crisis okay let's look at this you want to be a coach you need to have five clients a week yeah. to break even yeah. and to make enough money and live do you think you can find five people amongst the 9 million people in Sweden <laughs> to give coaching to. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think people will need more coaching during the crisis or less? Probably more. So this is the perfect time. Yes. Right. So we always need to really be considering where am I spending my mental energy? I, I think people have about four productive hours a day. I think people vastly overestimate how much time they have in a day to make things happen and make things like make changes. I think they have about four productive hours. And so what they should do is say, okay, I, this is my powerful four. Yeah. How am I going to spend the powerful four today? Oh, yeah. Would you connect that to like biological prime time? So that differs. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, the so there's a lot of stuff around now about yeah. your peak, but I actually think that if we just look at how much time we need to spend Maintaining ourselves, you know, sleep, gym, eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom, how much time we need to network, how much time we need to be aware of other things, being on social media, which is part of our world now, if you're a business. Yeah. You take all these things out, you could be on LinkedIn, then you need to get to and from work, and then you need to actually see the people that you love. Mm. You know, I've got two small children. I need to be with them. Of course. Uh, take them to school, pick them up from school. Like it just, when you actually boil it down to productive hours, hours that make a difference. You have, I think you have about four. And that's if you're disciplined. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And disciplined is, you know, you actually just say, this four hours is sacred. I'm going to just smash this as much productivity out in four hours yeah so you know i think we 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 need to respect that we have a small amount of time every day to make a change and in that in that four hours control what you can control and move forward Mm. you know i do self-leadership talks and i my definition of self-leadership yeah is it's the ability to continue to move in the direction of your choosing Mm. i'll say it again it's the ability to continue to move in the direction of your choosing. That's what self-leadership is. So when you get into that powerful four, that four-hour zone, yeah. you're using it to move in the direction of your choosing. That's fantastic. We speak about 
us all having an individual pursuit of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So the first step is getting rid of all these social, uh, the mirroring, the mm -hmm. the the other people's limiting ideas, beliefs. limiting beliefs, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm guessing this is your first step as well. Who are you? What do you want to do? Like in your core. And then you get down to detail, like time management, finding these four hours and... Yeah, I think uh, direction is more important than destination. If, you're, if you point your life in a direction uh, and start moving in that direction, uh, you'll hit a lot of milestones. And let's just say as a, as a sort of teacher and coach, you know, I could never have envisioned where I am now in... 2001. No, so you couldn't sit down right. and put it in print. I, I, you know, it's like uh, I, I, I just wanted to move in this direction. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I had no, I had never even thought of visiting Sweden. Okay, let alone living here. Yeah, right. Yeah. But then I meet this beautiful, amazing woman who's my best friend, my wife, the mother of my children, Therese, and it's like I need to be with this woman. This, and, and you know. Um, and still find the direction then. And, and then I move here and I'll just keep moving in my direction. Yeah. And if you have a direction, you'll always find destinations to move towards. But I tell people that people are uh, who come to me for coaching, they're usually too specific mm. about where they want to go. Okay. In in the first step. Yeah. Um, and the and you know, there's a lot of stuff about you need to have smart goals that are, you know, specific and measurable. Yeah. And it's like Let's just get you moving in a direction. And once you get moving in a direction, you're going to get so much feedback from that journey, you'll make much better goals and decisions because you'll have much more information. I encourage my clients not to be too specific too early because generally they make goals that are really at a much lower level than they're capable of. That's, that's great advice. I'm actually talking to a company that's I love this about them. Mm. They're really open, like mm -hmm. as a company. Yep. Learnability Podcast is produced by Levels. If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. We don't know exactly where we're going, but this is the, this is yep. the direction. Yep. And we just want great people on the journey yep. to, to... So, you know, when companies, because I go out and work with companies... I wanted to take it. So we've been talking a lot about the individual. If you could take it to the... Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give levels. you an example. Let's just use startup companies because I think smaller organizations are a little bit closer to what we're discussing now. Yeah, a little bit more agile. Yeah, more agile, more changeable. You know, if you go out and work with a huge company like, you know, Skanska, Ericsson, these, yeah. these big companies, there's a lot of people controlling, pulling yeah. the strings. But when you get inside these small organizations, startups, the thing that is most important is they have their direction. And that in business is the value proposition. What is your value proposition that you're bringing to market? So the really simple way for us to understand value proposition, for those who are listening, don't understand that expression maybe, is what are you doing for people and how are they changed by it? by you doing it for them. So if you're so what, really what's clear... What's your offer? What's yeah, your contribution? Yeah. But if you're really clear about that, yeah. then you can change what your offering is again and again and again. And that's why you hear about startups pivoting because we found a better way to deliver our offer. And often when I go into 
startup generators like Antler and these other ones around the city. Yeah. And I do work with them and I teach them pitching. They bring me in earlier and earlier and earlier in the process because what they found is that when I teach people pitching, they get clear about what their value proposition is and people rebuild their companies around their offering and around their direction, which is super interesting. I've found like I, I've uh, went through like a startup journey yeah. as a learning experience. Right. It was fantastic learning experience. Yeah. But what I found was like the traditional venture or mm. investor side, mm. they try to get you to define the company mm. in a way that you don't know. You, you shouldn't sit here today mm. and decide where you are in 10 years. You can decide the direction, yeah. but they want it too specific. Well, I think, I think once, once you get to the investor level, then you need to, you do need to get specific mm. because what you're saying to somebody is, uh, we're going to go on this journey together. And I want you to give me a ton of money <laughs> to go on this journey. So then you need to be specific. But you're still making it up. That what, that's yeah, what I but, find. You're... Yeah, but this is why quite often, yeah. this is why you need to spend enough time on your business before you bring investors in. Yeah. And, you know, people are trying to get investment after being a company for three months. And, okay, I don't have a problem with you doing that, but usually the companies that are doing that and then actually succeeding people have been thinking about that idea for five years mm, yes and they're yeah. just sort of bringing it to market so they've already pivoted in, oh, yeah in, in their head in their they've head, done 10 yeah. pivots and yeah, they, they've yeah. kind of they've come to the startup world with an idea that they have been burningly passionate about for you know a number of years or months at least so but i think we, when we talk about this um Let's think about direction, the, the direction you want to take your, your company in. Tell me, what is the direction you're going in and what's your value proposition? Mm. What do you want to give people and how will they be changed by it by you giving them that? Tell me, tell me what it is. I might. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's actually about self-education, of yeah. course. I'm doing learnability mm. here. And it's about turning our information consumption mm. into education so i'm trying to validate our information consumption because if we can do that i believe we can have an incentive mm -hmm. for people to have a more positive information consumption fantastic so i go out lecturing for example and i it's about entrepreneurship but mm -hmm. really what i'm talking about is self-education mm -hmm. and i can tell them um it's all about self-education so go home read up educate yourself and sitting there they can think it's a great idea but when they get home it's not tangible enough so this is meant to be a tool to make your self-education more tangible okay and through it being more tangible what will they get it's about that individual pursuit of fulfillment mm -hmm. so right now if i go down a line uh, let's say i'm in high school mm. i choose this line for university almost kind of stuck there there's it's harder for me to pivot because mm -hmm. then i have to go back to university and start over uh, i wanted to make it easier in your life just to educate okay, yourself great. and take different so directions so you're helping people use education for transformation yes and through that transformation they're able to get more results and fulfillment in their day-to-day -day life yes and so you're creating this platform that is like a ladder. I'm going to, if you come onto this platform, you're going to get information, education, insights 
that will elevate you on your journey, help you climb the ladder more quickly. Hold up, let me write this down. (laughs) (laughs) Get more quickly, right? (laughs) And so what you're doing is you're saying, instead of going out into the world and like searching and wandering around for good information, I'm going to aggregate it for you. I'm going to put it in one place. And give you a chance of... Exponential uh, profile, growth. Exactly. Exponential growth and, and uh, sh- having a profile that shows your learnability, basically, yeah, your right. effort that you put into yeah. it daily. And so one of the things that your platform is doing is you're creating a new uh, standard for learnability that people will be able to put on their CV, Yes, which is going to be something that every company will want you to demonstrate. Yes. So you're creating a platform that not only teaches them important information about how to navigate the world in their private and professional life, but you're creating a platform where people will have a demonstrable standard of learnability that they can put on their CV, bring into their business life, and demonstrate that they're proactively growing as personally and professionally and demonstrate that to the world. That's, yes, that's it. That's Fantastic. it, right? Yeah, you really got it. That's okay, it. I really got it. And as a recruiter, yeah. you have the chance of finding talent that you yeah. otherwise wouldn't find yeah. because they haven't gone this conventional mm-hmm. path. Yeah. So And so by, by you doing this and then building this business and eventually going to the level of being able to give people certifications, you're helping people demonstrate that one of the most important professional qualities in 2019, which is managing change. Yes. Fantastic. That's, that's really about it. Yeah. And so as you get clearer and clearer about your uh, direction, your value proposition, you can find more and more ways to pivot, mm. find interesting ways to um, give it to people. Yeah, revenue models. A different and, revenue yeah. model. It becomes more investable, you know then you, you know you can start to build this around this whole thing of certifying learnability studying what what it is yes how can we measure it and if we can measure it we can certify people yes. on it and once people That's get it. certified i'm a four star out of five on learnability on the innocent on the, the innocent of- metric right <laughs> i you know um so this for me is like a fantastic opportunity I love that you really got it directly. You yeah, yeah. nailed it. Well, you know, uh, you, you live it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so definitely. I appreciate that. But also, like, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity to start changing the way recruiters yes. recruit people. Yes. And like, how do you... Like to actually say this skill should be at the top of top a CV. priority, yeah. And it should be like, I, I've got a PhD in mathematics. I'm a... Harvard scholar, and I have a five out of five on learnability. It should be literally at that level on every CV and every CV going out into the world. I believe because it. what people know will not help them navigate what they're up against, the tidal wave of change that's coming towards them over the next seven to 10 years. It's how if they, they learn. don't have learnability. So, high five for you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's take it back to your work, because when you join an organization or when they bring you in, that's that must be really important. People's um, 
how open they are. Neuroplasticity is something we talk a lot about. And sometimes, especially later in your career, you become more and more rigid. How do you work in opening people up to new ideas? I talk about managing change as a superpower. Yeah. And I say to people, you know, like, you know, managing change is a real competitive advantage. Yeah. So when I'm out working with big companies, executives, you know, I mean, I'm not kidding when I say these people are smarter than me. I mean, I didn't finish high school. I never went to university. I studied, you know, coaching and counseling. But, um, but you know, there's people with PhDs and, you know, very high level. You know, I totally respect the people yeah. in the room, um, you know, often smarter, more educated than me. So what am I going to tell them? You know, I'm going to speak to them in a language that they're used to. I'm not going to say you're a beautiful soul <laughs> that, are, that yearns to grow and evolve. I'm going to say, Framing, I'm going to say, I'm going to frame it as, you know, managing change is a real competitive advantage in the marketplace in 2019. And we as a, individuals in the company and as this team in the organization, we need to make sure that we're putting managing change at the top of our list of to-dos every single day so that we remain relevant, we can serve the people around us and we can continue to deliver high results. Because whatever got us here is not going to bring us to the next stage and the next stage because of the evolution of the marketplace is just too fast now. So I'm guessing you can also and have to bring it to the profit. That's the, mm, yeah, the, the bottom, bottom line. line. Yeah. yeah, bottom line. But also, you know, people also have a very different mindset about work. So I often talk about my father-in-law, a wonderful man, Leif, uh, who worked for Kodak for 35 years. And, you know, he worked in the sales division at Kodak in Nordics. And, you know, he could basically climb the ladder year after year. He knew pretty much what his job was going to be like in five years and he could get to here, get to there. It was very, very stable kind of working life that he had until he retired. And thankfully he retired from Kodak before they got into trouble. Oh, yeah. But, um, uh, but we don't have that kind of working life anymore. Not at all. It, you know, 35 years in one company, that would be seen as like, almost like a career suicide. So we have this, you know, people change in the Nordics, their job every 2.5 years, yeah. statistically. Yeah. It's like very changeable marketplace. People are moving around. You need to be able to go into an organization. And after, you know, a month inside that organization, you know, be up and running, delivering great results, you know, achieve what you want to achieve inside yes, the organization. Often yes. you have personal objectives. You know, I want to get this and this on my CV. I want to do that. And then I want to move to a bigger company or I'm going to start my own. Like people are very much into changeability in their life. Yeah. They see variety as a big, big success factor. So they have to build a mindset that's going to allow that to happen. Now, all of us need a balance of security and opportunity. Yeah. We need to balance those two factors. If we have too much security, mm. we, we're, we're not bored, growing. Yeah. Right. And feel like we're not growing. But if we have too much opportunity without any security, that creates a lot of anxiety as well because we're standing deep, deep, deep in uncertainty. So we need to balance certainty and uncertainty all the time, try and find that balance. And what we can really see is, is that. People need enough uncertainty 
that they feel like they're growing. Yeah. And this is what, you know, if you're, an, if you're a manager now and you're listening, you know, people need enough uncertainty, which is that you're giving them a next step. A challenge. You're giving them a challenge. Yeah. You're, putting, you're raising the ceiling yeah. so they're not hitting their head on the roof. But they still, you're still using their skills and talents and their experience to help them climb the ladder. You were saying we stayed two and a half years at a job mm. here in Sweden. Mm. So some take that as whatever this person is just here for two, three years, mm-hmm. we need to get people in, in flow, in motion. But I think the way to see it is that how does this person feel during these two and a half years? Mm. Are they here feeling like they're growing mm-hmm. and they leave, mm-hmm. but they've grown all the way and they've given a lot during the journey, but they will still mm-hmm. leave? Yeah. Or has this person felt like I haven't gotten anything and it's a frustration for those two and a half years? Mm. So the person is still leaving. Mm. Yeah. But what have you gotten out of the person during that time? Well, let me give you another framework, which I'm stealing from a company called Quest Nutrition. And they had a philosophy. They would tell all of their uh, employees that came into their work for their company, tell me what you would really, really like to do if you could do anything. And they'd say, well, you know, I'd be a journalist or I'd have my own company. It's like, use this job as a bridge to get closer to that dream. Fantastic. So what can we do in while you're here? Yes, to train you, educate you, where should you work in the organization? What do you want to do that would help you get closer to your ultimate dream? Big creds to Quest because right? that's exactly Amazing. what I would want to get to Amazing, with that. Amazing, right? So this quote. is Quest Nutrition and they had like a whole, I, I haven't been able to find it lately, but they had a Quest manifesto yeah. and it was this whole thing about how you should be inside the company to, and basically I think that's a fantastic framework. You know people aren't going to work for you forever. They, they might work for you for 10 years or 20 years or, or two. But while they're there, what can we do so that you can move closer to your dream and while you're doing it, deliver great results for us? And, and when people leave, that not only you celebrate their journey yes. in the company and... Um, there's a, there's a gentleman in, in Stockholm, he's an Englishman actually, and he, he wrote a book called Ends. His name's Joseph McLeod. Yeah, okay. Joe McLeod. You should interview him too. Definitely. Uh, and I, uh, I don't know him very well, but I'm having lunch with him in the next week. But he talks about how do we manage ends, ends of process, mm. when a customer leaves a company, when someone, uh, like when a customer leaves an, us, when a organi- you know, we lose someone in the organization. Yeah. We don't focus on ends. No. But his whole so thing true. is co- coaching companies on endings. Um, but, Important. I, um, but I think, uh, so definitely have a chat to him. But, but I think, you know, if, if you're a company that every time someone leaves, you throw a party and you say, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. We're so excited. We'll, we'd love to have you back if you ever want to come back. Um, then that's, that's showing people their value. Yes. Now, I've worked for an organization for five years, worked my tail off, worked weekends, worked long hours. When I left, they didn't even buy a cake. Nothing. They didn't even oh. like stand around and say, thanks for five years. And, and to me, like, it, it didn't bother me that much. No. 
but I just thought, what signal are you sending to the other people who are still here yeah. about how much you value that work? So true. That you can't even buy a princess cake Five from years. the supermarket. Yeah, exactly. That's a hundred meters away <laughs> and stand around and say, hey, thanks. Good luck. Didn't bother me that much. No. But right? it affects But them. I just thought, what, are you, what signal are you sending to the other people inside the organization about how much you value them? And some other people sent me messages on LinkedIn saying, wow, they couldn't even buy you a cake. Yeah. That's, really, that's really a shame. And it maybe didn't bother yeah. you, but it affects your relationship to them, I'm guessing. Like, uh, I didn't bother me because, yeah. you know, I just, I, I valued my own contribution enough, you know, and the people around me valued it enough. But it, but it was just for me, like, just like, for me, isn't it a no-brainer that you, for your company culture, you want to show people that you appreciate what yeah, they do? Yeah, yeah. Um, but not every, not, every, not every management team sees it that way. Um, you know, I worked with one manager that if anyone announced they were leaving, he would immediately see it as a betrayal and stop talking to that person. He would just shut them down from the day they said it to the time they left. He wouldn't make eye contact. He wouldn't. Yeah. So, you know, it's, but it's up to us as leaders in organizations to show people that they're valuable, that their contribution's valuable, and that our culture inside the organization is one of respecting people. Because look, every organization has, you know, I tried to explain this when I was last time I was uh, at Ericsson. Yeah. Because that company's a hundred and something years old, yeah. hundred and forty years old, I think, right? And I was like, "You guys are part of this continuum of people." So if you think of like Ericsson, almost like a pipe, with people walking in one end and people walking out the other. Oh yeah. This is like more like a river of people moving through Ericsson slowly, yeah. right? It's this river Continuous. of people. I mean, they've got a hundred and twenty thousand people. How many people have worked in that organization over 140 years? So who's Ericsson? Who holds the culture? And organizations are this river of people moving in the front door and moving out the back door. That's just a reality. What do they experience while they're inside your building? And instead of thinking our company culture is this fixed group of people, it's how we treat people coming in. It's how we treat people while they're with us. It's how we treat people as they're moving out. So when they leave the building, they are raving fans. And that's finding and showing value outside of the economic yeah. value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's people who are going to deliver everything inside the organization. They're going to deliver all of the projects, all of the products. The day-to-day energy in the place yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, and also if you're a manager... Don't you want to be around a team of 10, 20, 50 people who love coming to work? I mean, you're going to spend 2,000 hours a year with them. If they stay for two and a half years, what's that, 5,000 hours? What's that 5,000 hours going to be like? I mean, they're they're affecting your energy. They're affecting your life. They're affecting your well-being. exactly. You can be hands-on managing people. You can just have the culture being where everyone's self-leaders yeah. and you're just leading them in a yeah. in the direction yeah. once again. And I think also with self-leadership inside organizations, yeah. we need to make sure that we understand this is not a lack of management, 
but it's that managers help people manage themselves. So sometimes people like to think this is like a managerless or, you know, there's no hierarchy in the company. You need to have structure. You need to have that because it's the certainty and uncertainty balance. Oh, yeah. Someone. We need to have enough structure that people are free to go and do their work, but they can come back and get help, get support, and move forward. So I think it's important we understand, understand that, you know, we talk about self leadership inside companies. It doesn't mean there's no management, there's no hierarchy. It means that people are able to manage themselves and their projects to more and more degrees of excellence uh, and able to manage their own evolution Mm, as well inside the company. You've spoken or written about the power of metaphors. Yeah. And you just spoke about that evolution part. Mm. And I've had an idea, a book idea, actually. Mm. Someone should write a book about cliches. Cliches. And bring them back today with the science behind them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that a, would be fantastic. Because well, I think, you're, I think you're the writer of that book. <laughs> I think that's Maybe your book. There's a lot of cliches that, that we use all the time. And, you know, things like thinking outside the box. Yeah. There's no box. <laughs> it's like you, I, I, I wrote on my social media, if you're in a box, yeah. you're at your funeral, there's nothing for you to do. <laughs> Sit back and enjoy it. Your time is done. So it's true. too late for you to take action. Yeah. I think uh, the reason metaphors are so powerful is that when we use metaphors, people are able to make a deep emotional connection to something. Mm. So I'll give you an example. So I just talked about that companies are more like a river, people moving through, that's a metaphor, than a fixed set of people in a box. I'm envisioning that. So visually, people can, uh, okay, and understand this. And then a metaphor is that, uh, I'll give you a great example, and this is, this is from a coaching session, but I have permission to feedback, and there's a blog about it on my website, bravepd.com, uh, called Mr. Popcorn. Okay. So I, ha- I, was co- you know, I had a sales team, and I was coaching this guy who was having a tough sales period. He, wasn't, he was doing a lot of activity, but not getting much in it. And he was an American guy, and so I thought, okay, American, I need to use a metaphor that that is close to him and has emotional connection to him. So I said, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm trying to sell and nothing's happening. I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. Nothing's happening. And I said, hey, have you ever been to the baseball? He's like, yeah. And I said, when you're at the baseball game, did you ever have popcorn? And I said, he goes, yeah. I said, do you really like popcorn? He said, yeah, pop- I love popcorn. I said, that's you, man, you're popcorn. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, think about popcorn. Just before it pops, it's boiling in oil. It's in pain. It's like, ah, <laughs> and pop. I said, right now, you're the popcorn that's boiling in the oil. Keep going. You will pop. You'll get some sales. Don't worry. You're popcorn, man. You're popcorn. And he laughed. And I laughed. It was just like, it just took all the stress out of the situation. I said, I know it's painful right now, but you're heating up, man. It's going to happen for you. And two days later, I get this email. The subject line is, I pop. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes it's helpful when you're giving people feedback to talk to them directly or show them the possibility by using metaphors. Because metaphors are also emotional. They're visual. 
and they also are they they're a distancing mechanism. So yes. you can talk about the problem without talking about them. So by talking about it as popcorn, it wasn't about him, it was about the problem and the situation. And so we depersonalize. Yeah, like you say, we yeah. get in our own ways sometimes. Yeah. And so even though it's uh, so emotionally distancing in that one, but in another way is that because we can use emotion, so that in that popcorn example, I use positive emotion because like being oh, at yeah. the baseball, eating popcorn, popcorn's like a fun thing. So, um, so I use that. So it's like a happy kind of memory, yeah. bring him into that state. Um, but also, you know, you can use any kind of metaphor that will create an emotional state or describe the problem in a way that is less threatening mm. or maybe removes a limiting belief. So we talked earlier about, and you know, I use the fictitious example of a, someone who's from India wanting to be a speaker. Oh, yeah. And then I could, you know, I could, you know, use a metaphor like, you know, they say, oh, I don't know what to do and I don't have a... A pod, you know, I don't have podcasting microphones, I don't have a computer, you know, and then I could say, you know, there was a great Indian speaker named Gandhi. Mm. And the only thing he had was a piece of white cloth that he wrapped his body in. And that was the only thing he owned, literally. And he changed the course of his whole country once again reframing reframing yes. using a metaphor because when you say that you yeah. start thinking well what do i have i have yeah. a lot actually exactly all right and it's not about the technology so just use a metaphor you know use a historical example and it's like so what's the piece of white cloth that you have now right so it's all kinds of metaphors you can use and i mean after 20 five years of studying this and doing this almost 25 years you know i can come up with these things really fast oh, really yeah. easy yeah. really elegantly but it's through practice yeah. and practice but yeah by doing like by you doing said, the it best but way also of just uh making it a habit to use metaphors yeah. a lot yeah. metaphoric language is really common we use it all the time mm -hmm. like you might say oh that tunnel barna was a nightmare today I mean, that's, that's metaphoric metaphor. language. Yeah. We use it all the time. In fact, we use it like apparent something like every sixth sentence we use is metaphoric. Okay. We 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 compare something to something else that's not really a match, but it helps us paint the picture for the people. When you explain metaphors in this way and you used a few examples, mm -hmm. I was thinking, I want to do that as well. Mm -hmm. And I actually got in my way, like my yeah, <laughs> my yeah. mind went negative and like, I don't think I'm that good at it. Yeah, yeah. But well, probably I, just by doing well, and I might already start, be doing it. Just start it. by noticing. So yeah, notice yeah. how many times people say things like, um, you know, the subway was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, my kid's birthday party yesterday was like a war zone mm. people use them all the time just start observing and noticing and then when people give you one feedback with a metaphor mm. so if someone says you know my current working situation is a nightmare um you could say well if it was a beautiful dream what would it look like you know still staying in the metaphor, Stay in the metaphor yeah. feed it back to yeah. them it's a great coaching tool Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for a lot of great tools and insights. My pleasure. One can really tell that you've been doing this. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank I really appreciate the much. opportunity to share what I know. Really, 
happy to be of service. If anybody who's listening to this has a question, yeah, where can please get? reach out to me through my website, bravepd.com yeah. or through LinkedIn. Find me there. If there's something I can help you with, please just drop me a question. I'm super happy to answer it. Learnability Podcast is produced by Levels, working in the fields of digital transformation, innovation, product development, and venture. If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. And oh yeah, if you want to find additional material and contribute to the platform, you can do that at learnability.online. That's learnability.online. Looking forward to getting in touch with you. And oh yeah, stay curious.